Amber Alert for a little girl in Saskatchewan has been expanded into... We were sitting outside, we heard him shooting. He's now facing 15 charges. In eight of Canada's 13 provinces and territories, crime is up. Okay, I am recording. Oh, man. I know. I didn't have to tell you that. I don't know why I bothered to share that information with you. <laughs> Legally, I don't have to tell you if I'm recording our conversation. That is true. <laughs> it's amazing what we've taught ourselves on this podcast. <laughs> I actually knew that beforehand. I don't know where I picked that up. I was explaining to someone that um, that you you didn't have to have someone's permission to record a, a call, and they didn't believe me. And I'm like, no, I'm, I, I am totally right on this. It's we a, just did an episode yeah. on it or something. Like I can't remember. different across the country because it's a provincial thing. Mm. But yeah, Ontario is a single-party consent province. Yep. Uh, which is great and also not at the same time. <laughs> yeah, it's got a, it's pros and cons, that's for sure. <laughs> yes. All right, so let's get the show on the road, Rachel. Okie dokes. Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Shelly. And welcome to a new episode of True North Crime. Where we discuss Canadian crimes and maybe elements of the law or other things that relate to them. Yes, exactly. And I didn't yes. screw it up this time. It felt weird when I said it backwards. I know. You you did <laughs> screw that up nicely. So so did. Wait, uh, I mean, we're a little rusty. It's been a while. It has been a while. My fault. I went away for a week. Mm -hmm. And it was great. I recommend yep. everybody just taking a week off from life. Oh, I wish. <laughs> I wish. I've been, I've been going full tilt, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's been busy. So lots of st business stuff and development stuff. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing two startups at the same time, people, things get a little busy here and there. <laughs> but it's a good kind of busy, not the tedious busy I had to deal with today. Yes, that's yeah. probably right. Yes. So speaking of tediousness, what um, crime do you have for us this week? <laughs> <laughs> it's not tedious. I know. I know I'm just... <laughs> I'm I'm really hunting for a second. That was here. real. That was bad. You can. Do I better. know, but I can do better. I'm usually way better at it. All right. Well, I'm going to start with an update first. Okay. All right. So, you remember David and Colette Stefan, the couple? They are. Wait, wait, wait. Let me guess. Yeah. Anti-vaxxers. Sort of. Yeah, the couple who were found guilty of failing to provide the necessaries of life to their toddler son Ezekiel, who died of meningitis. Yeah, this is the one that I like fucking pisses me off yeah okay yeah okay so update on these two the supreme court of canada overturned their conviction after finding the trial judge made an error when instructing the jury okay specifically the judge quote did not supply jurors with the tools they needed to properly decide the case end quote oh fuck that and this has to do with the overabundance of medical evidence also in quotes that was presented at their trial right so their conviction was overturned a little while ago. And after their conviction was overturned, the Steffens fired their lawyers, saying they could no longer afford legal representation, even though they knew that there would be a retrial. Do you remember this part? In I do. And they asked the government <laughs> they or something asked the government to pay for, money. for their Yeah. Christ almighty. <laughs> These people know no bounds to their bullshit. Um, yeah. So in December 2018, they tried to have their new trial delayed until the government of Alberta paid them $4 million. <laughs> oh, fuck that. They wanted a $1 million reimbursement for legal fees and an additional $3 million in trust for more legal fees. So unsurprising, the province was like, yeah, I don't think so. 
Yeah, I know, right? You pay for your own defense. We'll see you in court, motherfuckers. <laughs> well, now they will. They're back in court for trial number two, and they are representing themselves this time. Hmm. Uh, That's going to go well. And the well, the jury has already heard that Colette was told no less than two times to take her boy to the emergency, um, and neither she nor her husband brought their son to see a doctor, hmm. and instead gave him echinacea for his meningitis. And so... That's the update. They are back on trial and will likely be found guilty again. Again, yeah, yeah. I hope so. Me too. Well, it there another couple was just recently charged with the same thing, failing to provide the necessaries of life to their little boy who died. So, yeah, I heard about yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, that was just handed down. That was the Supreme Court one. I think it went all the way to the top yeah, as well. It was didn't like it? last week or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So, fuck him. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was the update. Are you ready for the main event? Um, sure. Sure. Okay. Do you remember the story of Jamie Bulger? No. You don't even know who that is? No. <laughs> okay. So... And this is terrible. In 1993, when he was just two years old. <laughs> They're all terrible. I know. That's never. It's. I don't know why I even bother saying that. It's always a bad scene. Okay. So anyway, 1993. When Jamie was two, he was lured away from his mother by two older boys who then murdered him. And by older, I mean these kids were 10. Oh, now I know what you're talking about. Yes. Okay. okay so... For the longest time, I conflated Jamie's story with a story I'm going to share with you today. Okay. Okay? Okay. Mm-hmm. So this is my badly remembering a case from the two cases from the 1990s. Right. All right. So we this, be- <laughs> this lends to accuracy already. Okay, go for it. <laughs> I have since done my research. Okay, okay. Well, you're just kind of setting yourself up to be like, what the fuck I know, are you setting us? <laughs> Go on. All right. We begin with Jonathan Timpson, a bright, happy seven-year-old living in La Ronge, Saskatchewan. Are they ever like seven-year-olds, like the dark, brooding seven-year-old? Like, <laughs> Yeah. I, re- I listened to a podcast earlier today about this kid in New York, Willie, last name I've forgotten. Whatever. So he was brooding. He was a fucking holy terror. Even at oh, okay. seven years old. Yes. Okay, well, this, this we'll, we'll go on another podcast for that one. That's not really so, new. Yeah, look okay. it up. Willie, New York okay, City. Okay, so happy, joyous, <laughs> happy, joyous seven-year-old blah, blah, boy blah. in LaRonge, Saskatchewan. Uh, to help you orient yourselves, LaRonge is 400 kilometers northeast of Saskatoon. Well, shit. That's so we all know where that any, That's pretty far from a lot of shit. <laughs> it's very far from anywhere. Okay, so sadly, Jonathan would not live to see his eighth birthday. This is how we begin our story. Sandy Charles was born on July 6, 1981, to a 17-year-old Jean Charles, Mm -hmm. also in LaRange, Saskatchewan, far from anywhere. She raised him by herself, and he was actually a pretty good kid. He didn't get into trouble. And he did well in school, earning an academic achievement medal in grade eight, and he participated in the science fair. Nice. 
Yeah. So all in all, like on the outside, pretty good kid. But Sandy's life really wasn't that easy. His father was killed by a drunk driver when he was only three years old. Oh. And it's around this time he started hearing voices. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah. Not a good sign. Nope. Meanwhile, Jean, she had two more kids. And since Sandy was the oldest, he helped care for them while their mother juggled an endless rotation of part-time jobs. Not a lot of opportunities in La Ronge, Saskatchewan. Mm -hmm. Things started to change for Sandy after he turned 13. He quit his newspaper route. He stopped trying in school. He became withdrawn. He didn't socialize. And when he did, it was with children who were much younger than him. Right. And so it's like, you know, is there something wrong with him or is he just a teenager? Yeah. Is he just going through puberty pretty hard? Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think like to the outside observer, he's just a moody teenager. There's nothing really to worry about. Inwardly though, Sandy's voices, which had been present throughout his childhood, they were now growing louder and much more insistent. And Sandy thought they were ghosts haunting his bedroom and he got a Ouija board to try to communicate with them. And in addition to whatever... Uh, He might have been suffering from mental illness, just being a teenager. He was depressed and suicidal. But the voices told him not to kill himself. They had other plans for Sandy. So it's around this time that Sally developed an interest in, or maybe an obsession with, horror movies. Right. I know someone else who's obsessed with horror movies. (laughs) Oh, really? go on. (laughs) So... He watched as many as he could get, which it sounds a lot like me, if we're being honest here. I got into horror movies when I was a teenager. And like me, he loved the movie Warlock. Oh, no. I have a special relationship with the film Warlock. Not like a murdery relationship. Not a murdery relationship. (laughs) Okay, and that's where you diverge, right? (laughs) It was after watching Warlock that Sandy thought he might, instead of killing himself, sacrifice someone to the voices in his head or possibly to satan the story does change a little bit over time so on the morning of july 18 1995 sandy and another boy named william martin who was eight years old uh, invited jonathan who happened to be william's cousin to play baseball with them all i know i don't there's really no information about this william martin kid there was a publication ban on everybody's name at one point. Yeah, because they're minors? Because they're minors. And William Martin is actually too young to be charged with any crime. So anyway, so, okay, so Sandy and William invite Jonathan to play baseball with them in Sandy's backyard. And later on, Sandy would explain that Jonathan was not specifically targeted that any little kid would do. Mm-hmm. But given his inspiration from Warlock... He likely chose to kill a boy rather than a girl. I can go into that later. Uh, So the three of them, as I said, went to go play baseball in Sandy's backyard, which backs onto some woods. Wait, why why go into it later? Why not go into it now? Okay, go into it now. Uh, Yeah, because I'm I'm like, why why a boy? Okay, this gets into kind of like what Sandy does a little later on. But in the movie Warlock, the warlock kills a little kid and he specifically kills a boy. For specific purposes. Okay. Um, And so, yeah, Sandy targeted Jonathan at random, but he needed a boy because that's the victim in the movie. 
I guess we should have said spoiler alert anyway. Yeah, I, I'm going <laughs> to ruin Warlock for anyone who... <laughs> Who hasn't watched this since 1980? Who wants to see it? Well, I've never seen it, Rachel, so you (laughs) fucked it up for me. Thanks so much. I know. I've ruined it for you now. Okay. So anyway, so he picked a little boy. So he, yeah. So they're playing baseball. Sandy hits the ball deep into the woods, and all three of the boys go looking for it. And while they're in the woods, Sandy retrieves the weapons that he had stashed there earlier. He gets a beer bottle, a knife, and a rock. And he uses a nice the knife first stabbing Jonathan and then alternates between the bottle and the rock to bludgeon him. Nice. Once he was dead, Sandy ran home to get another knife. So he could, you know, like it's just so premeditated for a little kid. Well, again, because he's getting his inspiration from the movie and I'm going to get into this in a second. Mm -hmm. He runs home to get another knife so he can cut the skin from Jonathan's body. Fun. The two boys dragged the body further into the woods, and Sandy cut between seven and, like, 15 pieces of skin. Oh. Mm-hmm. Which oh. he then put in a tin can, and then back home, boiled the skin, still in the can, on the stove. Oh, gross. He's trying to reduce the fat to a liquid, which he will then drink. Oh. This happens in the movie. Okay, well, I think I might throw up a little. You know, in the film, you don't see the murder happen. Mm-hmm. The warlock is talking to this little kid, finds out that he was never baptized. And then in the next scene, he's like drinking. He's like boiling something over a fire in a tin can and then drinks from it. And you find out it's the flat rendered from the flesh of an unbaptized male child. And Ew. it will give him... The ability to fly. Ew. Okay. So this is straight out of the movie. So okay. everything Sandy's doing is just templated from the movie Warlock. Okay. Sandy doesn't drink it, though. He either wouldn't or couldn't, and later explains that, quote, I just wanted to stay the way I am, end quote. So he stashes the can in the basement. Later that day, Jonathan's family noticed that he's missing, and so the whole community goes looking for him. And it didn't take long before he was found in the woods where Sandy and William had left him. And people had seen the boys earlier. So the cops questioned the two of them right away. And at first they deny everything. Uh, But soon enough, both of the boys confessed to having killed little Jonathan. Um, Yeah, so as I said, William really wasn't charged with anything for his part in the murder because he was too young. Sandy obviously was, and initially the cops, who are the RCMP in this case, Mm -hmm. they revealed very little to the public about the nature of the crime. So everything we know about what happened came out much, much later. Right. And the cops are worried about creating a panic or a mass hysteria. To quote Corporal David Hoefel, I'm not sure whether the community is ready for this or not. And in reality, I don't even think the province is ready for it. Yeah. Like, that's how, like, it's messed up. Yeah, it's pretty fucked did. up. Yeah. yeah. And also, then you have to worry about copycats and so on, blah, blah, blah. Exactly. And then, like, the whole moral panic issue about horror movies. Yeah, so. Okay, so Sandy goes on trial for murder. He pleaded not guilty due to mental incapacity. His lawyer argued that uh, his difficult childhood led to mental illness and that he was easy influenced by horror movies. 
He might not be wrong. No. <laughs> Sandy admitted to watching Warlock more than 10 times before the murder. And a psychiatrist testified that Sandy, quote, did not see the victim as human, but an object whose death was necessary to fulfill his deluded plan, end quote. On August 2nd, 1996, Sandy was found not guilty by reason of insanity, and the judge said that Sandy was, quote, suffering from a mental disorder so as to be exempt from criminal responsibility, end quote. So, And that takes a lot. Like, go. we've gone over the insanity plea stuff, and that takes a lot in Canadian law to actually get an insanity plea pushed through. It is. It's more common than down in the States. Yeah. Because um, I think we are a little bit better at recognizing a mental illness and diminished capacity due to mental illness. Or, or we're just less likely to believe it. What do you mean, less likely to believe what? Like, believe that someone's mentally ill, like that, due to reasons of insanity. Like, to get someone off on a crime, it has to be, like, there are specific measures that might just be stricter. Well, you're not really getting off, because, yes, yeah, Well, I'm, was... I understand, like, you're not getting off, because you do have a mental illness. Yeah, sorry, that's, that's true. But I'm <laughs> saying, like, you know, like, to not be fully charged in a regular prison. Do you know what I mean? To be, therefore, institutionalized or handed to the state. Yeah. Well, no, you're definitely, you're, like, even if you're found not guilty due to mental deficiency, I'm not entirely sure what the proper legal term is for this, or, you you know, the insanity defense works for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're then, like, you're still in what we call state custody, but you're in an institution instead of a prison. Yeah, you're still, you're still locked up, essentially. Yeah, you're still yeah. locked up. Just not to cause harm to others. It's just a yeah. different type of incarceration, essentially. It is. Okay. Anyway, sorry. So go on. Yeah. So in the case of Sandy, we're going to get into this right now, actually. So Sandy was sent to the Saskatchewan Hospital in North Battleford, which is a rehabilitation facility. It's important to remember that. Mm-hmm. Sandy escaped his guards on a supervised walk on the hospital grounds and he wandered around for 15 hours before the RCMP caught up with him. Hmm. After this incident, he was then moved to the High Security Regional Psychiatric Center in Saskatoon, which is a maximum security hospital. It's actually run by the prison system. Wow. Whereas the Saskatchewan hospital isn't. So basically, like, he's in prison. It's just... He's getting psychiatric treatment, whereas in, like, a regular prison facility, you wouldn't get that. Mm -hmm. Then in 1998, he was allowed to walk the hospital grounds, provided that he wear a low jack, which is understandable. Right. And in 2000, he was back in court on assault charges. He got into a fight and he knocked a nurse unconscious. Is that getting into a fight or is that just assault? Well, I don't know. I don't have any oh, details. Oh, like the, the, the nurse might have been intervening and gotten knocked Yeah, yeah. Involved. I don't think okay, he picked okay. a fight with the nurse. I think it was a fight with someone else. And then, okay. yeah, the nurse got it. Okay. So then some years later, he started requesting a transfer back to the Saskatchewan hospital. And he was always denied until one day in 2013, his transfer was approved and he was moved to Saskatchewan hospital. He didn't last very long there. And he was moved back to the regional psychiatric center after acting out, which he did on purpose because he wanted to leave. Right. And in 2014, he again asked to move to Saskatchewan Hospital. So this guy is just like bouncing back and forth between these two facilities. I think he's been completely institutionalized at this point. And the most recent information I have is that 
He's still living in a psychiatric facility, obviously. And a couple years ago, he asked to start being socialized so he could re-enter society, and his request was denied. Right. So it's pretty likely that Sandy Charles will live out his days. In, in an institution. In an institution. And that is the sad story of the murder of Jonathan Timpson at the hand of Sandy Charles, who had and still suffers from schizophrenia. Oh, Childhood schizophrenia. That super yeah. sucks. And unfortunately, like, okay, so I did a shallow dive. A shallow dive. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't do a deep dive, but a shallow dive. The thing is, is that so people are always quick to blame movies and TV. So as you said before, they're just like kind of looking to blame Warlock. Well, not just Warlock. We're like in like horror movies, horror in general, movies right? in general, like, right? Yeah. So it's like there's always panic, been... which is my favorite kind of panic. Yeah, well, I... no, my second favorite. My favorite is satanic panic, followed right. by a good moral. <laughs> good, a good moral panic that always helps. In the 1930s, people were concerned even about how uh, radio affected people. Oh, my goodness. Like radio programs. So, like, this is something that goes, like, way back, like, for technology affecting people. I love 19, it. 1960s, it was TV. They actually did a, a fair amount of studies, which were inconclusive, which, of course, um, politicians and... Um, sure, TV warps your brain. Yeah, exactly. So in 1960s, TV. In the 1990s, it was video games, like violent video games, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. So there's like, always going to be, like, repercussions with violence in our media but we just don't know what and then there's like psychological harms but there are also benefits to that are that are hard to determine like what affects what there are different factors like parents personality community violence like their past in general mental health like all these things right so it's hard to separate and say like the tv was the thing that did it because most of the cases that i looked at where horror movies were responsible was essentially someone who was already mentally ill well, that's that just it. Like, I have consumed a ton of violent media, and I am not a violent person. Are you, though? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think it really is. Like, you I, you need to have that already kind of inside of you. Yeah, and politicians tendencies. and citizen groups are always looking for a reason why. And so they just pick something like 1999, Columbine High School, the shooters like Doom. And I think they liked like Marilyn Manson or ACDC or something. I can't remember. But people needed a reason. So they created these groups like banning this type of uh, imagery and also the blaming the video games for for what happened, essentially, like and for these two kids doing what they did. So it's basically like people not knowing something and they can't be bothered to investigate it just leads to like confirmation bias and crazy ass pointing of fingers to whatever. So, but actually violent video games has been totally mostly discredited as a cause of violence. Yeah. So it's mostly just the, it has to do with the mental health of the individual. And as we all know, like that's just a slew of factors that no one really quite understands right. yet. Yeah. That's, that's really all I did is just a shallow dive. <laughs> Into the history of everybody blaming technology for fucking everything up. I just find it interesting that if something happens that you can't fully wrap your head around, you're going to look for an explanation, which is perfectly normal. But you're also going to try to point a finger and find blame or a root cause. And so it's, you know, the same thing happened with rock music or Dungeons and Dragons, right? Like, it's going to corrupt the youth. <laughs> yeah, the, the kids are all right. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Offspring said it correctly, yes. 
So, yeah. Do you have a stupid crime for us? Oh, you know that I do. So do I? this happened back in 2010. Almost a decade ago. I know. So this dude, Amado Cintron, in the process of trying to, like, break open some mailboxes to steal the mail, when he spies a video camera, like a security camera. Yeah. Videotaping the mailboxes. So he takes off his shirt, because why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Clambers up to the security camera, manages to get it free from its mounting or bracket. It had the tape inside, discards the tape, leaves it <laughs> by the mailboxes. Nice. And then and it takes it fucks off with the camera. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> he wasn't hard to find. He had because he had a giant tattoo on his back. <laughs> nice. Which had previously been covered up by his t-shirt. So there you go. If you're going to steal a video camera or security camera, maybe make sure you take the tape with you if it's together as one unit. I have a stupid law for you, thanks to mtlblog.com or montrealblog.com, depending on how you want to do that. Um, Rachel, have, have you ever been with Chris in public on a Sunday? I have, yes. I know. Has he ever, like, put his arm around you or, like, kissed you on a cheek or something? Uh, Yeah, I believe that he has. Well, that's illegal. (laughs) Like, more than just a PDA. You should go to jail. It is illegal to show public affection on a Sunday. In Quebec or across the country? It does not say either way. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, yes. That's upsetting news. I'll have to tell him that when he gets home. You've just admitted to a crime. I have. (laughs) I'm a criminal. Lock me up. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Friggin' Quebec. I know. I was about to say with its Puritan laws. I'm like, no, very Catholic. Extremely Catholic, yeah. Yeah. Well, when all of your swearing is based on the church, you know you're in trouble. That's true. But yeah, that's all I got. All right. Thanks for joining us once again over here at True North Crime. We're happy you're here. Uh, if you like what you're hearing, I just use the word here a lot of times in that. Yes, <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> Thanks for being here for Thanks. hearing here. <laughs> if you like it, uh, please feel free to leave us a five-star review wherever you're listening. Comments are always welcome, positive or negative. We love to hear from you. So long as it's five stars, we don't care. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> so we just we just don't care. Don't give a shit. You can tweet us if you so desire at TNC underscore POD. If you prefer a more uh, private communique, you can email us at truenorthcrimepod at gmail.com. And you can find us on Facebook at truenorthcrimepod. Yeah, and we have had a few people make some comments on our Facebook page. I'd like to point out to the dude who made a comment about having Crohn's as well. I also have Crohn's and anti-vaxxers are like a big problem for me because I also get my flu shot. Screw you, anti-vaxxers. So there you go. That's that's my, that's my message. That's my sign off. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated. Get vaccinated or fuck off to Mars or something, please. <laughs> Until next time, I've been Rachel. And I've been Shelly. And stay safe out there. Yeah, please do. And get vaccinated. <laughs>